okay? Who's ready for a conceptual word jumble? Raise your hands. Get ready, get set. Did you ever read Carl Jung's Red Book? Or have you heard about it? Do you know what it is? Essentially, Carl Jung left behind a book that went through several incarnations, and the final one was called The Red Book, and it was a recounting of his experiences in his own inner world. And from these experiences, which included meeting archetypes and learning about psyche and the spirit in a way that's more befitting religion or occultism even than how his own psychological models are presented as a science or as a piece of a scientific puzzle. The Red Book's more of a Bible. Now, some say that Jung met beings of inner space during his visionary journeys, through which he worked out his entire sense of archetypes and his brand of psychology. The some who say this, of course, point to his Red Book. Because, again, it is an accounting of his visionary encounters with mythical beings who taught him about self and spirit. So, it makes sense to believe that. But then others just say he was hallucinating. The some who say this maintain that Jungian archetypes are his hallucinations. And that that's all Jung was interacting with. And they point to the fact that he also talked about them, the visions, as a type of schizophrenic break of his psyche. At least he certainly saw uh, enough similarities between patients he later had who were schizophrenic and his own visions to, uh, to call attention to it himself. And of course, those who want psychology and his brand of psychology to be a science, to be considered a science by other types of scientists, they kind of have to leave out the visionary stuff, right? They have to pretend the Red Book doesn't exist or that it just represents his own coming to terms with mental illness. Somehow he was able to shine a light in the dark and, and find his way out of his own mental illness. I can't imagine what it was like to first read the Red Book as, say, a Jungian scholar or a Jungian psychologist of some renown. I mean, were you shocked? Did you immediately feel defensive? Did you realize, uh-oh, <laughs> this could undo everything? Or did you know that it existed? I mean, maybe in Jungian circles, they always knew about the Red Book. It just uh, was never public, so it remained hush-hush. I don't know. But as we argue over the nature of Jung's experiences, what happens to the reality of them? Where does that go? I've just left behind ufology. I've uh, finally quit my other podcast, The Experience, where I talk to experiencers of high strangeness, typically what used to be called alien abductees. Um, don't call them that much anymore because a lot of experiencers don't believe they're aliens. A lot of them don't believe they were abducted. They don't know what to make of what they've gone through, but 
the terms alien abduction uh, sound a little too materialistic, a little too um, cold, and a little too uh, malintent uh, on the part of whatever these beings are, and a little too, oh, I already know what these beings are for a lot of people's taste. But there are still people who believe that there are aliens abducting people, right? They believe that people from other planets take humans, experiment on them, impart some form of knowledge with them, and then return them. Of course, still others maintain that this is all a product of fantasy proneness, escapism, or psychological cover for real-world sexual trauma that an abductee experienced and maybe isn't ready to deal with. So they say aliens took me and did horrible things to me, not another human being. But as we argue over the nature of alien abductions, of high strangeness experiences, of UFOs even, what happens to the reality of the subject? Where does it go? The same can be asked of Kundalini. I mean, here is a thing that that also exists. It's a happening. It provokes physiological response and psychic response and all sorts of stuff. And some people say they trigger it with yoga or it just gets triggered um, through happenstance or through the... Death of self, as I've talked about. Um, Some say it's a demon possession, or spirits walking in, or even aliens. The more modern spin on spirits walking in. Some say it's uh, an energy that just sits coiled at the base of your spine that gets triggered. Some say it's a goddess. Some are hoping for science to one day detect it, this invisible ether energy. And some say that it is uh, a form of consciousness, and consciousness can't be detected by instruments. Consciousness, in fact, manifests instruments. (laughs) It manifests all. Or all is manifested within consciousness. And this is but an expression of that, and so how can we even turn an eye toward it? Especially if that eye is one that needs to, quote-unquote, die, as in the death of self, for it to be here. But as we argue over the nature of Kundalini, what happens to the reality of it? Where does that go? And when you think about theoretical physics... Remember when physics wasn't theoretical? It was just materialism. It was just like, that was kind of the fact. Newtonian physics. And then along comes theoretical physics. And I don't know that anyone's caught on to this, but ever since they've been calling it theoretical physics, we've been living in theory. Right? There's all these competing theories, string theory. There's all these theories of what the fabric of reality is or whether it's a fabric at all. And as we argue over our competing theories, argue over the nature of reality itself, what happens to reality? Where does it go? One wonders, namely this one, me, Jeremy, if these 
inevitable forms of argument are related to the push-pull of wanting to believe in something versus wanting to legitimize that same something. When we take an unknown and claim to know it well enough to make arguments for or against it, why are we arguing? In other words, I mean, like, we don't know if alien abductions involve another intelligence or not, but how can we say they are alien? How can we deny they are alien? How can we, in our denial, invent the other thing that they are? A psychological coping mechanism, without understanding that we, in our skepticism, are lying too. We're creating another answer. Because we don't like the first answer. And neither answer is necessarily true because it's an unknown, right? Is this type of arguing, the the structure of it, pitting supposition against supposition so that we can call one the fact and dismiss the other as bunk, a holdover from more religious times? I guess is my question. Is it much different than believing in the holiness of the words in the Bible versus wanting to find physical evidence of alleged miraculous events spelled out therein? Meanwhile, as we take comfort in that something, be it passively or actively, actively meaning that we're striving to prove or disprove a particular belief in that something, passively meaning we just believe it, what happens to the reality of that something when the arguments are about belief? Where does that reality go? Is it just in stasis until we work it out? Or is the working it out the reality and the thing we're arguing about a MacGuffin? If you're not a film buff, look that up. In other words, does the reality, does the subject we're arguing over have an existence apart from our beliefs about it? Is there a there there? Or are we all pointing at and arguing over purely subjective experiences whose validity is only ever in the eye of the beholder? And maybe the experience for a theoretical physicist is the experience of releasing their own intelligence. Because those guys are pretty smart, right? (laughs) So I'm imagining they're thinking quite a bit. And so it's got to be quite the release to get out that mathematical formula or to be able to verbalize that theory that's been nagging at them that now the Eureka moment has happened and it all makes sense except for one tiny little detail which must be missing or else it wouldn't be a theory, it would be a fact, right? But never ye mind, pave over that that hole (laughs) because the theory almost works good enough. Why is that good enough? Isn't it good enough because the expressing of it is what's important to the physicist, not the actual fact of it working and replacing all other theories with it? You know, I was going to start this off with politics. I was going to talk about how to read the news in a completely different context than uh, I have before, because I'm pretty sure I talked about that on this show way back Maybe one of the first couple of seasons, or maybe I'm misremembering, but I've definitely elsewhere, at least, (laughs) I think here, I think, I'm pretty sure here, talked about how to read the news. But I was going to do it again, in a different way. One directed at people who believe 
that they chose this life they're living before they were born. You know those people, like the New Age people? So I was going to do a thing about how to read the news directed at them. Those who believe that every action was preordained by them prior to their births. And so nothing bad ever happens in life because all the bad stuff is secretly a positive learning lesson waiting to be discovered by them. Apparently they're playing hide and seek with their lives, discovering treasures in septic tanks where others find crap. When you say, I chose this before I was born, what you're saying is, I'm not choosing this right now. And you are. Moment to moment, you are choosing this. And what I would have said was choosing media illiteracy. Choosing misinformed politics. Choosing to misinform others with your misinformation. Choosing to spread the very dumbing down control mechanisms of the system that you believe you've awoken from. Choosing, in the end, to lead the religious life you thought you saw through. Is believing you chose this life and these moves you're making in life any different than believing in God as a guiding force of your life? What is God? What is putting your life in God's hands? Isn't it putting your life in the hands of the past? The God construct was created for you as a safe place to not have to worry about making decisions, being present, living in the active present. Your life is in the hands of God, and God is the past. God's not up there in the heavens, looking down. He's back there in the ancient texts, moving you forward. There is zero functional difference between this belief and believing you chose to come here and be who you are, except the former is a passive belief, where you've given control to an ethereal parent, and the latter has an arrogance to it. You're in control. You have the power, not God. But truly, neither you nor God have the power. The past is the one with the power in both instances. Perhaps you developed a belief in your having chosen to play this life game prior to birth in response to some bad stuff that happened to you early on in your life that you felt you needed to overcome through self-empowerment. And there's no greater self-empowerment than claiming you chose all of this hardship to learn something from it. In this model, the world really does revolve around you. The world exists to aid in your learning just the way you set it up prior to life. And so anyone you meet along the way... You planted them there to guide you. You just have to hold conversations with them, listening with the appropriate amount of self-involvement to hear their coded message of guidance. Any of this sounding familiar? Is this you? Or is this someone you know? I know these people. And so, just as there is no life from you apart from your creation, there is no death for you. You are but a string of physical lifetimes with non-physical choice-making in between. You are both pawn and player in this chess game, and your opponent is also you. You spend your off time building the game for you to play when you reincarnate. It's probably more like mousetrap than chess. You remember that game from childhood? You ever played it? Are you playing it now? You erect this elaborate setup, and then roll your marble through it, and... Hope it doesn't get trapped, eventually gets trapped. 
Life and death is linear time. You as center. No need to understand timelessness. No need to be in the moment. Just claim you are in the moment because you understand this fact about yourself making decisions in the before times. What have you done with this mousetrap life? You've buried the need to contemplate death, right? You've buried the need to contemplate life. Contemplate your decisions. You've buried consequence. You now lead the same inconsequential life that the religious do. Which has great consequences for us all as we sleep and dream of being in various stages of wakefulness. Yes, I was going to start this off with that. All of that. But I didn't. Doesn't matter where I put it, turns out. It's an elaborate scolding of a certain type of new age theory that presents itself as a fact. It's no different than anything else we argue about in the end, right? So as one person claims they chose everything prior to their lives as a lesson to learn something, I guess life is a syllabus or something. I I, I don't know what life is. I, I teacher's planner and they've plopped plot points down along their their way like gods of linear time and they just have to wake up moment to moment to read them to see that the person in front of them is conveying something that they need on their journey their personal journey and then i step in and i argue well the opposite well no something more along the lines of fantasy proneness Something more along the lines of you're doing this because you are hurt in childhood. Maybe your religion hurt you. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe your parents were a fundamentalist something or other. As we have this conversation, as we even have these arguments that maybe they even get heated. I'm sure they do in the halls of scholarship. They become great debates. Careers are made and broken. Maybe suicides happen. Lives are upturned. Maybe lives are lost. What happens to the subject that we're even talking about? Where does it go? Does it exist at all? Or is the arguing over it the only existence we have as beings of thought? As thought constructs. Can we only pull out of the ether, create, identify, however you want to put it, other thought. And then argue over that for our dear lives. Because thought, creating more thought, sort of solidifying it through agreement, is how we sustain the lie of ourselves as something more than thought constructs. We need to do that because thought lives in the brain. Thought is a product of the body. And we are that, and we want to live. So, imagining, pondering, building upon other people's work to create a sense of architecture around us that we call reality or call the universe or call, that's just how things are, or call the unknown, the unknowable, When we identify it and say, it's known, it's knowable, we got it, we got this. Isn't it all in service 
of dragging the unknowable into the known, which is the past, taking the ever-present case and making it the past and saying we know that already. Because that's what we are. We are constructs of the past. We gods of linear time. And we'll believe any damn thing. And we'll argue any damn thing. To preserve and protect what we say is our viewpoint, but is really us. We are that viewpoint. We're no different than that viewpoint. If we were, we could give it up. We would have no problem with the other's arguments. Now, since this is the world we live in, it would behoove us to uh, live factual lives. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to live in a world that is uh, a choice between rationality and irrationality, choose rationality. But... Just know that that has nothing to do with one who transcends and includes the rational. That one has an understanding beyond arguments. That one may appear irrational to the rational person. And even to the irrational person may seem like a brother or a sister. (laughs) You're one of us or a master somebody on a pedestal because they don't get it either. That irrational new ager really, really wants to get it, but it's in the same inauthentic way that the rational person doesn't get it. Both are blocking out the it in question. The it isn't in it. It is the transcending and including energy, life force, consciousness, truth, pick a word, that they are not. They are representatives of the body, of the universe, of thought, of time. And so they can't understand the timeless. They have to say it doesn't exist. They have to say we've already mastered it. It does exist. We've mastered it. We are it. They've got to say... We haven't discovered it yet, but we might get there in the future if we just do the right observations. They have to make a specialty out of it, a plaything out of it, or they have to say it's garbage. What happens to the reality of the subject when that reality is us, but we're the ones putting on masks, playing characters, blocking it out? What relationship does time have to the timeless? What relationship does the known have to the unknowable? What relationship do you have with reality?